Good morning, church. It's a great Lord's Day. What a, man, that's such an encouraging word from Sister Shirley. Thank you so much. Um, if you're a guest, I want to extend a warm welcome to you. We're grateful that you're here. And we do gather every Lord's Day, every Sunday, to worship a holy and awesome God. And the essence of why we gather as God's people is this. Since God is so holy, God is set apart from all creation, particularly sinful creation, God himself sent his one and only son to die for sinners so that we can be at peace with the holy God and be with God forever. The Bible says if you repent of your sins, that means you turn away from living for yourselves. And trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He is the one I follow. He's the one I love. We could be with God forever. And this is what this is about. This is the good news. We're good news people and we talk about Christ. We talk about the good news every week to encourage one another. It's like coming into a huddle weekly. And we hear God's word read and sung and prayed and preached so that we could go out and, and live for him and to be holy representatives of him. Church, we're going to take a pause on Mark till the top of January. And as I was studying the book of Ezekiel, and the book of Ezekiel is a special book to me because we spent some time and sent some emphasis through our doctoral program through the book of Ezekiel. And it's been a personal encouragement to me. And as I prayed through this, I thought about it. You know what? Our church needs to hear from Ezekiel. And this is only going to be a three-part sermon series. We're going to go through the first three chapters. And we're going to be examining Ezekiel, the prophet's call. And there's so many dimensions, so many human elements to Ezekiel that I thought, man, our church needs to hear from Ezekiel. And so today's sermon title is called Yahweh's called servant. Yahweh is God's holy and personal name. God is a personal God who tells us his name. And someday, God willing, he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. When we've been there 10,000 years, well done, good and faithful servant. And this is what we all long to hear. This is what every single Christian longs to hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. So as we examine Ezekiel's call, we're going to see that it's not about us. It's not about us where God walks us through. He's with us. He's a personal God. And he empowers us, encourages us to be good and faithful servants. And... We're going to be reading out of the book of Ezekiel, so as we normally do, Ezekiel chapter 1, it's in the, if it's, it's in the Old Testament. If you've gone to Daniel, you went too far, go, go to the left uh, one book and you found the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel, uh, his name means God strengthens, God strengthens. And Ezekiel was an exiled prophet. What does that mean? That means that he lived as a prisoner of war and that was his assignment. It's a very difficult time. And in Ezekiel, the book of Ezekiel, we get very cosmic and very divine, very heavenly visions. So I'm taking a chance by pre preaching Ezekiel as a younger preacher because 
if I'm not careful, it can get really confusing real fast. So I'm going to try to keep it simple and give you the high points and describe what's going on as best as possible as God opens up the windows of heaven and lets us peek into heaven. This is what we're talking about. We're talking about the holy and great God that we serve. So Ezekiel chapter 1, 1 through 21. So if you're able to stand, please stand. We do this to honor God's word. The Bible, God's holy word is a, is a treasure unto us. Therefore, emblematically, we rise to honor God's word. I'll be reading Ezekiel 1, 1 through 21. Now it happened in the 30th year on the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kabar among the exiles, that the heavens were open, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth of the month, in the fifth year of King Jehoiachin, Exile, the word of Yahweh came expressly to Ezekiel the priest, son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans by the river Kabar. And there the hand of Yahweh came upon him. Then I looked, and behold, a storm was coming from the north, a great cloud with fire flashing forth continually, and a bright light all around it, and in its midst something like the gleam of glowing metal in the midst of the fire. And within it there were figures with the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had the likeness of a man. And each, had, each of them had four faces and four wings. And their legs were straight and their feet were like calves' hoof. And they sparkled like the gleam of burnished bronze. And under their wings on their four sides were hands of a man. As for the faces and wings of the four of them, their wings touched one another. Their faces did not turn as they went. Each went straight forward. And as for the likeness of their faces, each had the face of a man. All had the face of a lion on the right, the face of a, of a bull on the left, and all four had the face of an eagle. And such were their faces. Their wings were spread out above. Uh, out above. Each had two touching another being and two covering their bodies. And each went straight forward. Whenever the Spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches going back and forth among the living creatures. The fire was bright, and lightning was flashing from the fire, and the living creatures ran to and fro with the appearance of lightning. Verse 15. Then I looked at the living creatures, and behold, there was one wheel on the earth beside the living creatures for each of the four of them. The appearance of the wheels and their workmanship was like the gleam of barrel, and all four of them had the same likeness. Their appearance and workmanship being as if one wheel were within another. Whenever they went, they went in, and in any of the four directions without turning as they went. And as for their rims... They were lofty and awesome. And the rims of all four of them were full of eyes all around. And when the creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the ro wheels rose also. Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go in that direction. Where the spirit was about to go. And the wheels rose alongside of them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. Whenever the, those went, these went. And whenever those stood still, these stood still. And whenever those rose from the earth, the wheels rose close beside them, for the spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. 
This is the word of God. This is the word from heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, give me your power to preach this in an edifying way. I pray you give us ears to understand. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. It was in the late 1940s in Shanghai, China. The family labored to develop a life, a business, started investing in real estate, even owned seven blocks in Shanghai. However, a new government regime was coming and they came to take over. They lost home, they lost generational wealth, they lost direction of what they were going to do. CY and Polly Chang left to start a new life with nothing in America. They settled in Washington, Renton, Washington. CY worked for Packard, and Polly worked at the local Safeway. They raised their family, their son Norm. And this is the story of Charlotte's grandparents, as told to me by dad. Life has some hard turns. And perhaps this is where Ezekiel's at in Ezekiel 1, verse 1. The wounded priest. Perhaps he was the wounded priest. In Ezekiel 1, verse 1, it says, Now it happened in the 30th year of the fifth day of the fourth month, while I was by the river Kibar among the exiles, that the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. What was going on in the day of Ezekiel? Similar, another empire, another regime takes over. His homeland, northern Israel, would have had already fallen for 120 years. Now southern Israel, where Ezekiel lived, would fall. And King Jehoiachin was taken along with Ezekiel. Ezekiel was living as a prisoner of war for five years. And what was going on was this. They got transported to Babylon which is in modern-day Iraq, by the river Kabars, where he was at. And what was going on with him personally? That was the political context, which shapes a lot of his life. It says that now it happened in the 30th year. This is a very significant opening statement. This was a significant detail as Ezekiel's, Ezekiel's a priest. In verse 3, it says Ezekiel was a priest. We believe that this was Ezekiel's age. The author was writing and saying that in the 30th year of Ezekiel's life, Ezekiel was supposed to serve as a holy priest in the temple of God in Jerusalem. And in Numbers chapter 4, verse 3, priests began serving at the age of 30. So as he's at the river Kabar, he's thinking, what am I supposed to do? This all I've been about all my life. I've been trained to be a priest. I've been looking forward to the day of serving the great and holy God in the temple. And here I am at the age of 30. Ezekiel 3.14 says that he was embittered. He was in a hard place, church. You know thoughts were going through his mind like I was supposed to be in Jerusalem right now being installed as, the, as a priest in the holy temple. I would have been trained to offer holy sacrifices to God, even potentially going to the holy of holies, 
which was described earlier. This was how I was supposed to serve the Lord. Ezekiel was a wounded priest. He was a wounded priest. Now, none of us are Levitical priests, but can you relate to how Ezekiel must have been feeling in this moment at the river Kabar, not by the Jordan River, but the river Kabar, under the Babylonian Empire, not in Jerusalem, at the temple? Can you relate to this? Perhaps are you struggling as God's servant today? We're all servants. Sometimes we feel better. Sometimes we're ready to go. Sometimes we're struggling. It's difficult sometimes. You're either there right now. You're like saying, preach, pastor. I need to hear this right now. This is the word God has for me. Or you've been there before in the past and you go say, I could relate to Ezekiel. Or you're going to be there in the future. This is the life of a Christian. (laughs) There's some ups and downs and particularly how we feel. Life throws us a bunch of curveballs once in a while. We're hitting fastballs, 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 and here comes that curve, right? You're not something you expect. I mean, think about it. As Brother Kevin, our music leader, prayed, our, he prayed about our culture, or all kinds of shifting things in our in, in, in politics and in, in global events around the world, our cultural decline, our moral decline, our moral erosion. You may be thinking, this isn't the country that I worked hard to build. You may be struggling in unmet expectations of relationships. You may be 30 years old and say, man, I'm still single. You may be married and say, where are my children? This is not what I expected as a child growing up. Perhaps your career is not going the way you want it to. Perhaps your finance, finances aren't working out the way you envisioned. This could leave one, even a Christian, disillusioned, dejected, and discouraged. This could leave you in that condition right now. So you right now, your ears may be burning right now, like, tell me something encouraging, Pastor. You may be just like Ezekiel embittered. And this is where I, where I was at in 2010. And I shared this with longtime members. And if you're a visitor or a newer member, hopefully you find this encouraging. 2010, uh, we moved to Seattle, Washington. Nothing like Grandpa's story. Nothing like that. Nothing like Ezekiel's story. Yet, in my own way, I was embittered and dejected. You understand, I... I, I all my life as a child, I dreamt about the University of Southern California. And there I was in 2009 as the, from, you know, from a walk-on, a gardener's son, a walk-on to being the, serving as the defensive coordinator. And in 2010, we move up to Seattle, and instead of being the defensive coordinator, I'm the kind of the entry-level position called the quality control coach. I was bitter, to say the least. And there's a lot of conversations I had with the coach. I love him dearly, and our relationship is strong. We're able to talk through this, and... That's how I felt. I was productive. I was working. I was doing my task, but inside there was no joy. That usual smile, that light wasn't necessarily there all the time. I had to fake it a lot. I was feeling like that. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. I was supposed to be the next head coach someplace. This is kind of my mind, my arrogant mind that I had. I understand how Ezekiel could have felt as a wounded priest. But how does God treat the wounded priest how does god treat you the wounded servant of the lord 
This is critical how we understand this in, in verse 1 here. It says, the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This is how God treats the wounded priest. And it's interesting how we serve a God named Yahweh where he actually tells us his name. God is a personal God. God is connected to us. He's not just distant. He didn't just create everything and let everything happen by chance. He's there with you, brothers and sisters. He knows and cares for his children. And he comes to minister to Ezekiel. Whether it's in Jerusalem or Kabar, God's presence is everywhere. And this is important for us to understand this as a church. And in verse 3, it says, The word of Yahweh came expressly to Ezekiel the priest. This phrase, the word of Yahweh, is used 50 times in the book of Ezekiel. 50 times. It's an emphasis. This is how God visits us, by sending us his word, either read through the scriptures, prayed through the scriptures, sung through the scriptures, or preaching of the scriptures. God is speaking to us right now. The word of Yahweh is coming out to us right now through the book of Ezekiel. And it's amazing to know that God's word is near to his people, particularly those who will actually listen. That's why Jesus said, he who has ears, let him hear. If you don't have ears to hear, this is going to go beyond you. But if you have ears to hear, and perhaps God has softened your heart to hear well tonight, you're going to profit from this message. And this is the hand of Yahweh was upon him. And this is where God is strengthening Ezekiel and taking a hold of him, like, get off the ground, Ezekiel. I see you. I need you. I have a role for you. And then in verse 4, it says this, Then I looked, and behold, this is a transition. The director is saying, all right, cut the camera from Ezekiel and pan it towards the sky and go towards heaven here. And it says, A great cloud was coming with fire flashing and bright lights. This is the presence of God. God enters the scene here now in verse 4. How do I know this is God? Well, just like in Exodus 13, how God guided the Israelites in Exodus by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And in Ezekiel, uh, Exodus 19, a cloud of fire settled in on Mount Sinai to visit with Moses. Exodus 33, the cloud comes down and the glory of God fills the tabernacle. That's a temporary portable temple that they used to have. It's a tent. Tent of meetings. And in, in, in 2 Chronicles, Brother Rich read that the cloud descended and came upon the inner sanctuary and the glory of Yahweh filled the temple. This is God himself showing up. And this is God coming to the rescue for Ezekiel, a very personal rescue mission. And then what happens? This is where I need to be very careful because as, you, as I read, you're thinking, what is he reading? What is he reading, right? And then verse 5, within it, within it are five or four figures in the likeness of man. And they had four faces and four wings, Four faces and four wings. They looked like a man, but they weren't man. All right, they weren't human. Verse 7 says they had straight legs, I believe, to, to symbolize how they could bear a lot of weight. They could handle a lot. They had calves' hooves. That means that they're sure-footed. And they could go anywhere, and they're nimble. 
Verse, verse 8 said their wings, they had four wings. Their wings had hands on them. That means that they were skillful and they could do things with their hands. They could write, draw. They could do very delicate tasks. And they said they had four faces. In verse 10, this is where it gets really odd. Four faces, a face of a man, face of a lion, faces of a bull, and an eagle. What is that about, Pastor? Well, I think what that means is that they had great ability, meaning man is at the apex of creation. That means they had incredible intelligence. They could reason. What is the line? They, this, it, this symbolizes their power and authority. How about the bull? That means they had the strength of service. They could carry out heavy loads and heavy tasks. What about the eagle? They had majestic swiftness, as the eagle represents the most majestic bird. This is talking about how great these creatures are. And in verse 11, it says this, And such were their faces, their wings were spread out above. Each had two touching another being, and two covering their bodies, and they're waiting. These amazing creatures, if you can imagine them, are just waiting on guard, ready to hear something. And this is where we go to our next servants, the worshiping angels here, the worshiping angels. See, the Bible says that this great cloud of fire and glowing cloud, that these four beings came out of the midst. They're within it. And so what is that like? What's going on here with these beings as they're in the presence of God? I'm going to turn to Revelation 4, verse 8. Write down Revelation 4 so you can read this. This is the heavenly scene, and similar beings are described in Revelation 4. And verse 8 says this. This describes the heavenly scene of what's going on with these beings and with God. And the four living creatures are four here in Revelation. Each one of them having six wings. I think six instead of four because they need two extra wings to cover their eyes in the presence of Yahweh. Are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say what? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. They're worshiping God right now. What are these beings doing? These four beings that are coming from the midst of the cloud, they're worshiping God. They're completely floored, completely captured, completely enamored by the holiness and greatness of God. And what is worship, you may ask, as, as the title, this uh, point is, the worshiping angels. What is worship? Worship is this. You know what I'm talking about now. Anyone who's been to a great performance, who's seen an amazing uh, natural uh, 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 form of creation like the Grand Canyon or the stars without smog or any light, you're amazed. Worship is the most natural reaction to greatness. And even when we see human beings doing amazing things, we're like in awe. Well, multiply by that by an infinity and as what the angels were experiencing. They're worshiping God. The most natural reaction to greatness. And being God's presence is a way of life for these beings. Worship is the motivation to serve. That's why in verse 11 of Ezekiel 1, they're at attention, ready to move as soon as they get the word. And in verse 12, it says this, and each went straight forward Wherever the spirit was about to go, they would go without turning as they went. 
When the Spirit of God directed, they went, yes, sir. They went without even asking, without deviating. They went straight to the course of what they had to do. Verse 13 says that they were reflecting God's glory. They're glowing. These beings, these angels were glowing. Like hot metal, they're just glowing in the darkness. It's just like Moses' afterglow. The closer you are to God, the brighter you shine. The closer you, church, are to God, the more people can see Christ in you. They're glowing. These are holy, worshiping angels. And in verse 14, And the living creatures ran to and fro with the appearance of lightning, immediate obedience. Any time, any place, anywhere, any task, they're going. And it's, imme- it's immediate. There's no thinking, should I do this? There's nothing to think about. This is a natural reaction when you're, when you're worshiping. Just give them the word and they're going. And these angels, they live to serve God. I mean, I'll give you a couple examples, okay? Think of, as we get towards Christmas or Advent time, you know, there, Gabriel was a messenger angel who gave Mary the good word that she would be carrying, the incarnate son. Their warrior angels were the archangel Michael in Revelation 12, battle Satan and the demons. There's a war going on in the spiritual realm, church. Their death angels were the destroyer in Exodus 12, 23, comes and kills all the firstborn who weren't covered by the blood of the lamb at the first Passover in Egypt. This is the death angel that God sent, the destroyer. Their ministering angels in Mark 1 where Jesus is in the wilderness and these angels come to minister to our Lord and Savior in that difficult time. So what type of angels are these? And Ezekiel, being a priest, was very familiar to these angels because in Ezekiel 10.20 he says, I knew they were cherubim. Ezekiel knew they were cherubim. And what are cherubim? Their role is to be guarding angels. And what do they guard? They guard God's holiness. That's why they're in presence of God, presence of Yahweh always. And they're pictured in the Bible, and certainly Ezekiel would have known this in Exodus 26. The veil, as Pastor, Vic, uh, Pastor Jeremy talked about, the veil, there's a veil that would cover the Holy of Holies, the most holy location in all of Israel, and all the planet, in the temple. There was a veil, a huge curtain, and embroidered on that veil that would serve as a barrier from people coming in and out of that holy place were cherubim. And within the Holy of Holies, behind the veil, was the box, the Ark of the Covenant. And on top, there were cherubim guarding the entrance into the box. It was the lid to the uh, Ark of the Covenant where God's holy presence was to be. I mean, this was a stunning reminder to Ezekiel. As Ezekiel is thinking about, why can't I be serving as a priest? Why me? As he may even been feeling sorry for himself a little bit. Ezekiel is reminded that God is holy and God is completely set apart. And whatever God says to do, we do. And certainly that's what these angels are doing. What does it mean that God is holy? I guess you may be wondering, what does it mean by God is holy? In the simple terms, God is completely set apart from everything else. He is a creator of all things. 
And sinful beings, sinful things cannot be in his presence. Otherwise, these sinful beings will be incinerated. God is so holy and pure that he cannot even be in the presence of sin like that. R.C. Sproul describes the holiness of God as the, the sum of all of God's attributes. His love, his wrath, his kindness, his peace, his patience, his loving kindness, his power, his omniscience, all that, everything wrapped up into one. Holiness describes all that. Because he's the creator. So God himself is giving Ezekiel perspective, a reminder. As he's reminded through the cherubim that these cherubim are just worshiping God because he's the holy God. That they're ready to do whatever he wants, to serve God's interests, not their own, not the angels' interests, but God's interests to guard God's holiness. That's why they exist. And they're joyfully serving God as they've been designed to do. Ezekiel must have been looking at this and going, like, wow, what was I worried about? What was I worried about? Because priests were the holy servants, just like the cherubim. Human holy servants. During my Ezekiel moment, during those, that 2010 year, I was working, I have enough pride, you know, in the bad way, maybe in a good way, to do a good job. Okay, I'm not going to be accused of not doing a good job. It's not going to be because of me that we don't win. So I was driven to still do a good job. But I was still empty. I was still in a fog for about a year. But that fall in 2010, something ridiculous happened. Nothing, not quite like the heavens were opened up, okay, church. But in a way, God opened up the heavens to me as, as I was jogging up in Santa, uh, in near San Jose, excuse me, and we're playing the Oakland Raiders. They, they played there at the time, and I was just jogging, feeling sorry for myself a little bit, you know. And I looked up, and I saw a plane crash from here to the baseball field maybe, down, and that cr- plane was just crushed. I go on to find out there are three people on that plane, and three people passed into eternity. And immediately at that time, church, I was like, I don't care about the game. I don't care about my job situation. I can't even think about the game. I go to the game, and, we're, and I, I run into some coaches on the other team. And I'm talking to them about Christ, and like, look, do you understand what I just saw? Are you ready to die? My mind was drawn into eternity. So in a sense, heaven was opened up to me. So instead of thinking and looking at myself, I'm looking into heaven now more. And as I read the scriptures, the word of Yahweh was much more clear to me. I'm no longer reading the scriptures thinking, how can this help me be a better coach? How can I have my best life as a dad, as a, as a, as a husband? How can I cope with what's going on right now? I'm thinking, how do I see more of your glory, God? That's the difference. So in a sense, God did open my eyes into heaven as he unlocked my eyes to see more of what's going to matter. I mean, as if God was reminding me, get your eyes off of yourself. Stop feeling for sorry for about yourself. This is about me. This has never been about you. Get your eyes upon me. 
And all those events have been preparing me to serve here at Evergreen Baptist Church. Let me tell you that much, church. All those providential events have been leading up to this. And I can see that now looking backwards. So church, what is God preparing you for right now? You may not be feeling it right now. I understand. I totally understand how that feels. I completely understand how that feels. But God loves you. You may not get an airplane like I did. (laughs) Hope not. But you got God's word right here and the word of Yahweh is coming to you right now. The word is near to his people, particularly those who are willing to listen. Are you listening, church? Are you listening? John Piper would say, don't waste your whatever, you know, and I would say, don't waste your wilderness. Don't waste your hardships in your relationships, at work, or whatever you're going through right now. Because God wants to speak to you during this time. God has been preparing the soil of your heart to hear from right now. But there is a roadblock that could keep us from hearing. Some of us are a little bit more hard-headed like me. It took me a year to kind of figure it out. <laughs> Bitterness can dull your vision. If you're bitter and angry towards God or circumstances, and that may take you a little bit longer to hear from God. So if you're bitter, repent of that so you can hear from God and be encouraged by Him, the holiness of God. Let's turn to verse 15 here. Then I looked at the living creatures, and behold, there was one, uh, one wheel on, on the earth beside the living creatures for each of the four of them. There's another transition. Then I looked. The camera just shifts from heaven to the angels, now to the wheels. Like, what are we talking about here? <laughs> what are we talking about here? Well, this is another servant of Yahweh, a servant of God. Point number three, the wheels of providence. The wheels, I believe, represent the divine providential hand of God moving in human history. It's a picture of how God works from heaven to earth. God rolls out his divine providence, and he's telling us how it happens. And what is providence? We'll borrow from John Piper again. I like this phrase, it memorizes, purposeful sovereignty. We believe that God is sovereign. That means he's in control of everything, friends. But he's not just random with his, his sovereignty. He's very purposeful. He has a plan. He's very meticulous, very intentional on what he's trying to do. And in verse 15, the wheels of divine providence are shown. Warren Wearsby says this, All of this speaks of God's consistent working in the world, his power and glory, his presence in all places, his purpose for man, his providence. The world was full of terror and change during Ezekiel, even maybe today for some of us. But God was at work, Warren Wearsby writes. I mean, God is engineering something amazing right here. God is engineering his providential plan on how heaven interacts with earth, as if God was turning the gears of human history, using empires and rulers like Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon, affecting economies and circumstances. He's turning. God from heaven is turning. He's turning. Molecules and viruses, God controls. There are no, ma- no maverick molecules, as Sproul says. 
as he intersects lives and relationships with one another. That's providence, using it all purposefully to bring his plans. God is turning his wheels. God is whirling his wheels. And verse 16 and 17, it says that they're like burrow. What is that? That's yellow gold stones. These are just gleaming stones. So these wheels are bright and shiny. Talks about their divine craftsmanship. In the, but it says that there's a wheel within the wheel. What does that look like? The best I could come up with is like a gyroscope where these two wheels intersect. It's almost like a ball. Or if you're driving a car like this, you don't need to parallel park anymore. Youngsters, you don't have to parallel park anymore. Before the days of cameras and all that, and you know, the, the guidance system, we have to actually use mirrors and things like that and guess that we're not going to hit the back of us. But with the, if you had these type of wheels, you could just go and just park right in there perfectly. So these wheels are special. They could go anywhere. They're not in one dimension. They're, they're multidimensional. They could go to any place. It, these wheels transcend all dimensions. This talks about the omnipresent sovereignty of God. God is sovereign everywhere, in every place, every time. And verse 18 says they're lofty and awesome. What does that mean? They were big. <laughs> they got to be big if they're going to come from heaven and touch the earth. They got to be pretty quite large. So these wheels are huge. And they're full of eyes. I believe that's talking about the omniscient sovereignty God, where these wheels knew exactly what they're to do for God. In verse 19, basically, I want you to picture this. What, what are we picturing here? This is God's divine chariot. God is in the driver's seat. God is rolling over terrain. God is going every over every king, every queen, every ruler, every nation, every circumstance. God is rolling over all these events of life and showing Ezekiel that he's sovereign, he's king. Isn't that amazing? I just think about that for my own self. I wish I read Ezekiel a little bit deeper back then. God is providential. God is working all things for good to those who love him, the Bible says. But I don't want to leave you with that. I want to give you a picture like, so turn to Ezekiel 10. We're not going to be able to get to Ezekiel 10, so I want to, if if we're going through the whole book, we would wait. But I want you to know, how does this actually work? How do these wheels actually work, right? I mean, this is amazing. Ezekiel 10, a little bit of context, Ezekiel gets a vision of Jerusalem. Jerusalem Jerusalem was still standing. The temple was still standing. And everything that Brother Rich read was still there. The the glory of Yahweh was there still in the Holy of Holies, I believe. Ezekiel 10 says this. This tells us how the wheels work. Then I looked, and behold, in an expanse that was over the heads of the cherubim, that's where God was above the cherubim, something like a sapphire stone in the appearance and the likeness of a throne. God is on the throne. Appeared above them. And he spoke to the man clothed in linen, I believe is another angel, and said, enter between the whirling wheels. Now the wheels are turning. What's going on here? Under the cherubim, fill your hands with coal of fire from between the cherubim and scatter them over the city. And he entered in my sight. 
So the wheels of God's chariots are rolling, are whirling, and this man clothed in linen is asked to go in between the wheels and gather the hot burning coals and start spreading it over the city, over Jerusalem. And of course there were no hot coals from heaven that came down. Sometimes it happens like that, but it didn't happen like that. But this was a prophecy of how Babylon would serve as the burning coals for Yahweh and Jerusalem would be destroyed. The temple would be destroyed and these hot burning coals would purify the Israelites. Providence will use these empires to execute God's purifying work for the Israelites. Turn to uh, Ezekiel ten eighteen now. And then what happens next must have been terrifying for Ezekiel. He must have shed a few tears as he saw this. Then the glory of Yahweh departed from the threshold of the house, that's the house of God, the temple, and stood above the cherubim. When the cherubim departed, they lifted their wings and rose up from the earth in my sight with the wheels beside them. And they stood still at the entrance of the east gate of the house of Yahweh. And the glory of the God of Israel hovered over them. These are the living creatures that I saw beneath the God of Israel by the river Kabar, so I knew they were cherubim. The glory of God leaves Israel. Wow. That's judgment. That's called Ichabod. The glory of God has departed. Evergreen Baptist Church, we must guard God's holiness. We must take him seriously. We must take God's holiness seriously. We must take him seriously. How do we take him seriously? We're temples of the living God. Each and every single one of us are, are bricks of the temple of the living God. The Holy Spirit, the Holy God himself, lives within us for those who have trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior. That means that you guard your thoughts you guard your attitudes. If you have sinful temptations coming into your mind, you reject these things. You take it to the Lord. You confess this to another brother or sister. That means you guard your eyes and ears. We don't want to pollute our minds and our hearts from seeing things. That means we guard our lips from speaking evil. We guard our actions. Because God loves us so much that he will purify us as well. The discipline of the Lord is serious. And as Sister Shirley read or, or spoke, he may purge local churches too. He may purge local churches of programs, resources, traditions that were near and dear to us, even people. God takes the holiness of the local church very seriously and... Uh, it's like fire. He burns off the dross so that the metal that's left behind is more pure, more like shining barrel, more like these angels that reflect God's glory and holiness. This is what we want. This is what we want. We're saved unto holiness. We are holy ministers. We are part of the royal priesthood now. I want to end with some hope here for Ezekiel and um, 
God was telling Ezekiel something, and I'm summarizing chapters here. God was telling Ezekiel this. Yes, you don't get to serve in a temple because he will die as an exile. He will never return to Jerusalem. But he was saying, I got something better for you, Ezekiel. Instead of offering dead, heartless sacrifices unto God and playing the role some program director, you just just do what you're supposed to do. I got a better covenant for you to share with the people of Israel, to the remnant, that I myself will come back to the temple. Ezekiel 43 says this glory of Yahweh would return and have everlasting fellowship with his people, a holy people. And how God does that is this. He keeps spinning the wheels of his providence. The wheels of his providence are turning. And, and, and you know what this wheels of providence are doing right now? Well, back then in Ezekiel's time, it was preparing the way of Jesus Christ to come. As angel Gabriel announced to Mary. And then Mary would be pierced to the heart because her son would go up on the cross and die for the sins of men and women. And those who trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior will be a holy people where the Holy Spirit himself will come upon us and live within us. And we get to be in perfect fellowship with him forever. You see, Ezekiel, if you're Ezekiel right now, a type of Ezekiel right now, just know that God has something good for you. And it may not be that career. It may not be children. It may not be that house. But he is purifying us all so that we will be useful vessels in the Lord's hands. A mighty weapon in the hands of the Lord. Isn't that exciting? This is what this is about, church. Our eyes need to get off ourselves, get off of this world, and get our eyes into heaven. We need to spend time looking into heaven. And I pray, I I apologize if any of this was confusing to you, but I hope you got a higher view of God now. You have a greater sense of who our great God and Savior is. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this amazing vision of Ezekiel, Lord, where you take him from the river Kabar and transport him into heaven, and he's able to see your glory and the glorious angels who are worshiping you, Lord, and responding to your holiness. Thank you for how you show us how even the providence is, is, is your, are your servant serving you, Lord, in all things that you're accomplishing on this side of eternity to bring about the glorious King, Jesus Christ. I pray for the Christians in this room that you would encourage them and give us a higher view of you, Lord Jesus. And I pray for those people here who don't know your Son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior, that they would turn to you, Lord. They will escape judgment, And they'll turn to you and repent and say, I am a sinner, Lord Jesus. I want to follow you as my Lord and Savior. I want to be part of this royal, holy priesthood. Thank you, Father. 
in Jesus' name, amen.